0: Death's construction An analysis you will never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up to date analysis of local, national, and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord yeah. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. The program is podcast, so if you're called away, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast for the next two to three weeks by going to 3cr.org.au. The program comes to you via the Community Radio Network, courtesy of Melbourne's Community Radio 3CR. And I said before, my name is Joseph Toscano. to wonder what Anarchy is all about. No No It's not what you think it is Anarchos Without rulers An anarchist society a society without rulers It's a society where wealth And power Well Power is devolved And wealth is Held in common And uh, used for the common good Very very boring Conservative concepts So if you're anarchist You're a very responsible Boring conservative person Who wants to be involved in many of the decisions which uh, have an impact on your life. And that's what the anarchist movement is about. It's about creating society without rulers, not without rules. You to The Anarchist World this week. As I said before, Curse of the Community Radio Network. Now, I think we're going to meander along. You know, there are some programs that are exciting and other programs where you meander along. And what I'd like to do on this program is actually not just... React, 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 react. Because you'll find most of the media in this country is based on reaction and peddling basically half-truths and lies. I mean, it's very simple. You know, we've had this so-called firefighter's dispute in uh, in Victoria and all you've got to do is look at the, uh, you know, Murdoch's rag in Victoria. I won't even mention the name. I can't be bothered giving them publicity it is going out of circulation sooner or later but you find week after week week after week the same tired old garbage not based on facts not based on opinions but actually based on open lies and that's the way it works in the society it's very simple we're told we live in a three society we're told we live in an egalitarian community we're told we've never had it so good we're told we live in a secure society and, and, and when you look around, you be actually begin to understand that what we are told to a significant degree is not correct and in many regards, open lies. For example, during the fast, past 40 years, during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution, does not only swept Australia but swept most of the world, We have seen, for every dollar an investor invests, in 1976, the return to the people doing the work to create the wealth, not those who provided the capital to the people who created the wealth, was about 65-66% and about 30%. 34%, 35% three, thirty-four percent, thirty-five percent went to the investor as a return. Today, forty years later, as a direct consequence of the globalization, corporatization, privatization, deregulation revolution, what we are seeing now today for every dollar the investor invests, thirty-five percent goes to the people providing the labor to create the wealth, and 65% goes to the person providing the capital to pay for the labour that creates the wealth. Simple, isn't it? Simple. So what we've seen is a revolution, not a revolution which has created a more egalitarian society, a more democratic society, a society where wealth is shared, but a revolution which has concentrated power in the hands of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to make ever increasing profits for their major shareholders. I'll give you an example of how it works. Now Mr Sam or Senator Sam Destiari is a is a fool, okay? But he's not alone. There are many people on both sides of the political spectrum who are fools who take money from donors, whether they're local donors or overseas donors, you know, take money from them. And over the last two or three weeks, we've been regaled with this person's failings, personal failings. And we've seen the corporate owned media and the government guild at ABC get on the bandwagon, creating this hysteria. Hysteria, as we see the same hysteria created about the United Firefighters Union in uh, in Victoria. Well, at the same time, when the Panama Papers were released, secretly of course, accidentally of course, which showed how some of the richest people in this country and around the world were illegally, not just legally, illegally minimising their tax to nothing. The best the Murdoch rag could do was put it on page six. Two paragraphs, page six. While if you go in and have a look at the Murdoch rag, rags across the country, and the Murdoch media outlets, 21st Century Fox, and News Limited, and to a lesser degree, Fairfax and its radio stations, and the government guild at ABC, what you see is this honing in on what are reasonably trivial issues in comparison to the major issues. And nothing highlighted this more than the recent election campaign where everything and nothing was up for debate. And the real issue, which I personally attempted to raise in the electorate of Dunkley in uh, southern um, Melbourne, you know, almost totally unsuccessfully, the real issue regarding the fact that the corporate world in this country, as well as almost every other sovereign nation state around the world, pays no tax Legally, this is the central issue. Because if you have large corporations which are owned by their major shareholders, whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs, irrespective of the costs to the viability of sovereign nation-states, if this is, if this is, this is the central issue, and if this is not discussed, it is not raised. It is not raised in parliament. It is not raised in the government gilded ABC. It is not raised and debated in the corporate-owned media. It may be mentioned, but mentioning an issue is different to baiting that issue on a daily basis as we see Across the electronic media, the world wide web, etc. As we see the issue regarding the United Firefighters Union and the CFA and the issue regarding, you know, political donations. So we need to move from a reactive situation where we continue to react to their shortcomings and become involved in active resistance to To what is happening, because you cannot expect the very organs which obfuscate the truth, which push their owners' financial considerations before the considerations of the community, you cannot expect them to do the job for you. And that is the dilemma. that so-called issue oriented radical activists face in this community today, expecting the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC to do our job for us. And that brings me to the role, the critical, the essential role the radical activist plays in society. Because if you listen and watch and hear the reaction to the radical activist, you would think they are the devil's conjoint twin. You would think that. Because nothing good ever is ever said by those who exercise power regarding the critical fundamental role the radical activist plays in the community in terms as of in terms of being the catalyst for change not just radical change but just for reform we seem to have forgotten not consciously and unconsciously but consciously the radical activist is written out of the historical record of this country. Why do you think we have a minimum wage? Which reactionary and conservative elements are fighting against? Why do you think we have a public education system? Why do you think we have a public health system? irrespective of our personal criticisms regarding various aspects of those systems, we have them. Why do you think we have a social security net? Why do you think we have sickness benefits, a new start allowance, irrespective of how miserable it is? Pensions. Why do you think we have a relatively stable, safe community. And all these things were not given to the community by philanthropic organisations, by those who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. They were created through the blood, sweat, and tears of generations of Australians, generations of people who have worked for a whole range of issues, whether it's gender equality, whether it's the eradication of racism, whether it's racial equality, whether it's economic equality. And the radical activist has been at the forefront of that struggle. The struggle for indigenous rights. The struggle for the establishment of a treaty. And the list goes on and on and on and on. How many initiatives which benefit the public? Yes, the public, the citizens as a whole not just those who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, not just the interests of the 15% of Australians who have the disposable income to be part of the investment class which benefits greatly from the type of legislation which is currently passed through this parliament, which puts them at the forefront forefront of society in this community today. How many of these initiatives? Not one of these initiatives. They came through struggle, which which led to the creation of political parties, which saw political parties take up these issues because they were the dominant issue which had been pushed by the public as a whole. And that's why, and that's why, and I'll mention it every week, until the cows come home, and as our cows are sacred cows, they wander all over the place, they won't be coming home, so you'll be listening to this for a long, long time. The fact is that if we do not have political forces, both parliamentary and extra-parliamentary, which are willing to put public interests before corporate interests on a daily basis, we will continue to find that the globalisation, corporatization, deregulation, privatized revolution will continue to suck the oxygen from the public and will continue to pauperise an increasing number of people in our community, a very rich community, where we don't need to have people who are homelessness, where we don't need to have people who are living, you know, on a new start allowance. I'll give you an example. At the end of World War II, when the returning diggers came home, they expected something for the sacrifices they had made in defeating Japanese militarism, Nazism and fascism. They expected something in return. Because many of these conscripts, many of the people involved in the war were ordinary working people who found themselves at the forefront of that struggle against fascism, Nazism, militarism, Japanese militarism, at the forefront. And they made the ultimate sacrifice. And when they came back, they expected more. And the Commonwealth Housing Authority was created. And what did the Commonwealth Housing Authority do? It created 300,000 new dwellings to deal with the problem of homelessness in Australian society after World War II. 300,000 new dwellings in a population of less than 12 million. Today, homelessness is becoming a significant issue, not just in the cities, not just in the CBD of the major cities, but in the suburbs and regional cities. And we have all these organisations which theoretically look after the homeless, and they can provide every service except providing a home. And we have the state, whether it's the state government or the Commonwealth government or local government, standing on the sidelines, criminalising and pauperising the homeless. So why don't we have the same public building program in 2016? Because we have had a wholesale change in the nature and the role of government in Australia since the dismissal of the Whitlam-led Labor government in 1975. Because since 1975, almost every piece of legislation which has gone through federal parliament has been designed to promote the interests of the private sector before the public sector to promote the interests of of the major shareholders of unaccountable corporation before the interests of the citizens and residents of this country. Almost every piece of legislation. And we have seen the privatisation of state-owned instrumentalities, which were created, not by governments, but which were created by the blood, sweat and tears and money of people who pay taxes. That's right. Today, you may find this difficult to believe, 67 cents of every dollar that comes in taxation revenue that's the four hundred and I think twenty billion dollars. So that's about three hundred of that. Three hundred of that comes from pay as you pay as you earn, taxpayers. Extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary. So it was their blood, their sweat, their tears, their political agitation, the agitation of the radical, which acted as a catalyst, which pricked and prodded the community into taking wider action which saw the creation of the Commonwealth Bank in 1911. And the Commonwealth Bank was created because banks before then would not lend to ordinary people. And there was this political campaign for the creation of a government-owned, government-backed, government-guaranteed bank because banks were, you know, just foreclosing and going bankrupt in the period before that. And when... Public education was introduced in Victoria in 1871. That's right, 1871. And this is in a population. In a population of less than 700,000, 654 new schools were built. Public schools were built within a year of that legislation being passed through Parliament. So what's the difference? The difference is that we now follow ideology. Governments are no longer interested in looking after the concerns of their citizens. It's about pushing an ideological agenda. And nothing has made this more clear than the rise and rise and rise and rise of the professional politician. The rise and rise and rise of the institute They call themselves public affairs. They call themselves private affairs. The Institute of Private Affairs and the Liberal National Party. The rise of professional bureaucrats in the trade union movement and the Labor Party, where it's the job, not the legislative agenda, which is important. So we have seen this change, wholesale Change. I mean, the news today was that maybe 50,000, maybe 70,000 Victorians will have their gas and electricity cut off during the next 12 months. Hmm? About 2 million households. Did the same thing happen when we had a state-owned electricity generation scheme? And remember when electricity and gas were privatised in Victoria, we were told, Prices would decrease. There'd be more competition. Sure there was more competition, more people knocking on your door. It was a little bit like, you know, the privately owned petrol stations. One day petrol's at ninety seven point five cents a litre, the next day's 128.7 cents a litre, and wherever you go it's the same price. Competition, my ass. So in 2016 we are reaping the results. Of the destruction of the mixed economy. Mixed economy? What's a mixed economy? Well, we all know about communism, where the state owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, and communication, there's no private ownership. We all know about that. And then you've got the diametrically opposed situation which we have today in Australia where almost every element of service provision is owned by the private sector. And the mantra of the private sector is to create ever-increasing profits for your major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national cost. So a mixed economy is where you have a mixture of state-owned enterprises, federally-owned enterprises and privately-owned enterprises, where you have natural competitive forces. Because when an economy is totally privatised or totally owned by the state, you find that competitive forces are irrelevant, irrespective of government legislation which somehow, somehow, has some impact on the activities of those privately owned corporations, whether they run prisons or car parks or privately owned housing, and the list goes on and on. So, a mixed economy, when the government owns certain, on behalf of the people, owns Certain enterprises, whether it's the production of electricity, whether it's product, whether it's Medic Bank private, like it used to be, whether it's, uh, whether it's a Commonwealth bank, whether it's government owned airline, government owned infrastructure. So when the private sector gets a little bit out of control, people through their impact on government through elections can actually have an impact on the type of policies which are conducted by publicly owned infrastructure and enterprises and service providers, which acts as a brake on the activity of the private sector, its ability to gouge as much profit as it can from its citizens, from its uh, customers. Think about it. Simple. A mixed economy is a simple concept. Doesn't need blood in the streets. Doesn't need revolution. All it needs is people who are willing to be involved in political struggle which puts public interests before corporate interests. Now, I've been involved now for the last 15 months in an organization which was created to put public interests before corporate interests. Very simple. It's called Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, PIPSI. We are looking for members. And we need members to register this organisation as a political party, both at the state and federal level. in order to do that, we need 550 people on the electoral roll. And we are slowly building up the numbers and the momentum. But if you are genuinely interested... In putting public interest before corporate interests, If you are genuinely concerned about what is happening in the society, as wealth is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands, if you are genuinely interested in the fact the corporate sector pays voluntary taxation in this country, if you are genuinely interested in the, in the fact that we are seeing public assets stripped, destroyed, in order to augment the profits of privately owned corporations, whether they're owned locally or overseas, doesn't matter, privately owned corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major, major shareholders. If you are sick and tired of complaining, I mean, you can listen to me for another 40 years, that'll make me 105. Well, I intend to live to 105, why shouldn't I? And why shouldn't you? I think young people would be a little bit concerned about that, having to wipe our bums. But that's a different matter. But if you're genuinely interested, this is an opportunity. We're not asking you to do anything spectacularly radical. We're asking you to take a little bit of control over your life, a little bit of control, a little bit of interaction. I mean, Life is more than looking after the grandkids when you retire. Life is more than having a privatised old age pension through your superannuation system. It's about being involved in every aspect of the community. It's been involved in the political process. It's about you know, ensuring that you implement your rights. That's what it's about. So I'm encouraging you, unashamedly encouraging you, to join public interest before corporate interests. And if you ring me up or if you email me and you complain, I'll say to you, join public interest before corporate interests. Become part of a, a political movement, a social movement, a cultural movement, which understands that we are a society. We are not just cows... For the corporate sector to be milked when they want to. We are much more than that. We're an independent commune and collective of cows. We are not prisoners of the corporate sector. So if you want to join public interest before corporate interest, it's very simple, no cost involved. Go to the website, public interest before corporate interests Pipsi.net pibci.net. Download the application form. Have a look at it. You like what's on the application form? Join. You can always resign if you're unhappy. Join. Become part of this growing social and political movement. For far too long, radical activists in the 21st century have been involved in issue-orientated campaigns. There is nothing wrong with issue-orientated campaigns, but if it's only that issue which consumes you, the ability of creating lasting, egalitarian, radical change is almost non-existent. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interest before Corporate Interests. Go to my own Facebook page, yes, yes I finally joined the 21st century I do have a Facebook page Toscano, the number four Toscano for the public very simple, Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O number four, the public have a look at all the initiatives that we're, you know I'm involved in if I can do it, you can do it I'm an old man, I'm dying I'm a dying old man you're young, healthy, you got a future before you, don't let the bastards grind you down, because if you continue to allow them to set the political, social, cultural agenda, if all you're doing is reacting to, a, to the 24-hour news cycle, if all you're doing is, you know, clicking your little button on, on, on the net, you know, you're a you know, the world's greatest click activism who's got 142,000 friends. If that's all you're doing, it's time to get real. Time to get real. Join public interest before corporate interest. Have a look. There's a few things coming up. I know that uh, on the uh, Sunday, the 2nd of October, and I'll give you more information about that, they're having a public education forum in Seaford and Gene uh, Ely from uh, will be uh, talking about that as their special guest. I know they've got a lot of activities planned, and they are doing things. At least they're doing things, because what the corporate sector wants, what the political classes want, what the government gilded ABC wants. What the corporate-owned media wants is consumers. They want people to consume news. They're not interested in change, reform, radical change. They have no interest. What they're interested in is maintaining the status quo. That's all they're interested in. They're not interested in your life your future, your children's future, your grandchildren's future, they've got no interest. All they're interested in is maximising their major shareholders, their major investments, investors' bottom line. You are disposable fodder. You're shit. You're nothing as far as they're concerned. You're a consumer. Consumers consume. They want you to march around the streets with the you know, big placard saying, consume, defecate, die quietly. That's what they want you to do. They want you to go out every three years and every four years on Australia and cast your little ballot and then sit back, playing with your Facebook page, complaining about the world, carrying on, As long as you do it quietly and privately on the electronic media, not out in the streets, that's what they want. Then they can say, we've got freedom of speech. You can say what you like and nothing ever happens. And that's the key. Nothing ever happens. They want you to have tattooed across your forehead. Consume, defecate, die quietly. That is the mantra of 21st century corporate capitalism. That is its mantra. But even 21st century corporate capitalism is beginning to have a problem. It's all very well having low wages growth, but if people don't have an increase in wages and other bills continue to soar, well, they consume less, which is good for the planet. Great but it's bad for profitability. So think about it. Are you part of the consume, defecate, die quietly brigade? Are you marching round in circles, singing the mantra, consume, defecate, die quietly? Are you, or are you part of that little radical fringe, that marginalised group? The conjoint twin of the devil, as painted by the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, who are the catalyst for change, who are willing to put new ideas out for public debate, who are willing to fight for those ideas, who are willing to put the public interest before the corporate interest, who are willing to be stand up and counted who don't just react to the 24-hour news cycle, but create. Create that momentum for change. Create that new world in your hearts. Create that. And that's what life is about, about being involved. I know it's difficult. Every day there's a new bill, sometimes two, sometimes three. Every day you are thinking how you're going to make ends meet, especially if you're one of the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive or who are part of the 50% of Australians who are involved in poorly paid, casualised work. But in order to dig yourself out of that hole, We need to be politically active. It's simple. No political activity. No activity on the streets. Then you become part of the, you know, consume, defecate, die quietly brigade. The model citizen. The good soldier civic. The model citizen. In World War I, there was a beautiful anti-war cartoon. I think it was the good soldier, Sevic, Very muscular-bound soldier. No head. Perfect soldier. If you're going to have a war fought by workers at the end of a bayonet, perfect soldier. We have the perfect citizen today who's caught up in their own angst. You know, I was a little bit shocked. It takes a, it takes a lot to shock me. And, I mean, I'm nearly 65. I've been a doctor for over 40 years. I've seen a lot of things in my life, met a lot of people, and it's hard to shock me, but it happens. And I was looking at that research that's going on regarding the 55,000 women who are involved in this longitudinal survey, longitudinal survey um, regarding health matters both physical and mental and the shocking news was that when the survey started 20 years ago one in five of the women involved in the survey reported that's 20% reported that they had anxiety issues issues you know depressive issues anxiety issues psychological issues 20 years later, 20 years later, that number had grown to one in two. That's 50%. 50%. And when you look at all the available statistical analysis regarding health, although there are many improvements in physical health, in terms of psychological health, the Australian community has become a basket case. Do you like the term basket case? Well, in the good old days, you like it, the good old days in the 18th and 19th century, when somebody had a psychiatric uh, episode, they were placed in a basket woven basket so they wouldn't injure themselves. That's where it comes from, the concept of a basket case. State-of-the-art treatment in the 19th century. Somebody's got a psychiatric episode, you put him in a basket so they don't harm themselves. You know, the forerunner of the modern padded cell. So, so what's changed? Well, I'll tell you what's changed. The first thing that's changed is that every young person in this country is saddled with a debt because education has become a commodity which is bought and sold. We've seen the private sector exploit students in a huge number of ways and we've seen governments, which began with the Hawke Labour government, pass legislation which has ensured that university education is not just no longer a right for everybody, but it's it's a privilege, a privilege for those who've got the resources. So there's that anxiety that when you start off in life, you're saddled with a hex debt, which can take years, if not decades to get rid of. Secondly, we've seen the casualization of the workforce. You no longer go to one job. You may have to struggle between two or three or four jobs while, you know, going to university or college or whatever to improve your chances. So no wonder there's increased stress. Then you have all this legislation that's been passed in this country which makes withdrawing your labour a criminal offence. Where well, we see Parliament's major role is going to be in the next few weeks to pass legislation which makes uh, building workers have less rights than a Somebody's been charged with importing 150 kilos of heroin into this country. That's right. Star Chamber shit. So there's no trade, viable trade union movement. Less than one in five workers, and most of them in the public service, are now in the trade union movement. No wonder we see daily, hourly attacks on trade unions in this country, in the corporate-owned media, and to a lesser extent, the government geld at ABC, because they're seen as the last bastions. If we can crack the trade union, if we can, you know, get rid of the United Firefighters Union, if we can get rid of the CFMEU, if we can get rid of these unions which stand up for their members, which have a high percentage of their members in these unions, as we've seen with the destruction of the Australian Metal Workers Union and the Australian Workers Union and many other unions which are, pale shadow of what they were, well then we can introduce legislation which underpays people. And that's what the individual contract is all about. So we've got young people, saddled with a hex debt, casualized work, difficulty in obtaining money to get a loan from a housing sector which is totally out of control unless you've got Malcolm Turnbull as your father who can give you some money to buy a house. You're stuffed. Then we've got no organisation which are out there to protect you on the work, on the workplace. Where, you know, people are forced into individual contracts. And you wonder why anxiety has soared in this country. Why depression has soared. Why interpersonal violence is soaring. While fam- while families have been ripped apart. You begin to understand all these increasing pressures. And for what? For one good reason. One good reason. To increase the profits of unaccountable corporations to ensure that 1% of the population owns 40% of the wealth and 40% of the population in the land of milk and honey, the land of Oz, the land of opportunity, the land of fair go, owns 1% of the wealth and all the associated community, social, cultural problems where we turn on each other and think the other is the problem. The person of a different religion, different gender, different sexual orientation, different colour hair. And that's why, as said before, I'm involved. I'm a Secretary and Convener of Public Interest before Corporate Interest, and I encourage you very strongly to think about joining. If you're not on the net and you can't download, don't worry. You can ring me on 0439 395 489. Leave a message. Tell me where you want me to send the application form. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Now let's move on because we have a very important subject I want to talk about after after 13 years of struggle 13 years of struggle the Tanaminowai Morobina commemoration committee has finally can finally say that the monument at and Morobina to two indigenous freedom fighters were executed In Melbourne, the first people publicly executed in this in state on the 20th of January, 1842, their monument is ready and it will be officially opened at 2pm on Sunday, this Sunday, the 11th of September, at the monument site, which is at the corner of Franklin Street and Victoria Parade next to the old Melbourne City Jail, not far from the uh, Melbourne baths across the road, you know, on the same side as the road as RMIT. You can't miss it. The building is nearly finished. When we formed the Tanaminawe Moobohina Commemoration Committee, we had four aims. To hold a yearly commemoration on the 20th of January at the site of the execution took place, That's where the current monument is to tanaminawai Moobohina. To acknowledge the injustice of what happened in January 1842, to highlight the unfinished business that exists between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, and those of you who think it's a matter of you know you know just mentioning it in the in the preamble to the Constitution so it has no legal uh, enforcement, think again. And to walk to work towards the establishment of a significant public monument to publicly acknowledge to what happened on that fateful day. So why is it important? Why is it important? Is it just another, you know, place to collect pigeon droppings? It's important that all those people who've attended all those commemorations to join us at two PM on the Sunday the eleventh at the at the execution show at the Monument Site, corner of Franklin Street and Victoria Parade. It's interesting that the uh, Melbourne City Council can't, uh, although they funded the project and organised the project and have provided the land for the project, they can't bring themselves to call it a uh, monument. It's a permanent marker. I like that. I mean, the significance of this monument goes far beyond its presence. When the Goringi walked off Vesties and began their sit-down strike 50 years ago, it heralded the beginning of the modern lands right movement. When the High Court in 1992, almost 25 years ago, found as a result of Eddie Marbo's historic legal challenge that native Taival had not been extinguished by the colonisation process, land rights and a treaty were put at the centre of the political debate in this country. The establishment of the Tuna Minnawea Monument in the CBD of a major Australian city to men who pay the ultimate price for resisting the colonisation process, puts the frontier wars at the forefront of the reconciliation process between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Publicly recognising the resistance against colonisation is pivotal, pivotal to kick-starting a stalled reconciliation process that is based on, On justice not charity And that's the key Now this hasn't been an easy journey People may think it's an easy journey It's not an easy journey It began in 2004 As a result of the whitewashing of the brutality of the colonization process by powerful political and media forces in this country who continue to rail against the establishment of a monument. That's why it's called a you know, a permanent marker. Who continue to think that this is wrong. Who continue to deny, deny this country is a black history. Who continue to deny the brutality of the colonization process. It's a long journey that's taken many twists and turns. Even two to three weeks ago, we were negotiating and pushing for a more radical interpretation of what occurred because what occurs in these situations is history is whitewashed. History is watered down. And the radical activists who are involved in bringing that historical account to the public attention are written out of that story. And that's why it's important that all of you who support this monument to the frontier wars, who would like to see monuments like this across the country to the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men, women and children who were dispossessed, brutalised, murdered during the colonisation process, join us on that day. Because the established of this monument in the Melbourne CBD... Through the courage, and let's thank the Melbourne City Council, they provided the finances and they had the courage to stare down conservative and reactionary forces in this country to ensure that that monument was built as a direct result of direct political pressure, social pressure, which was placed on the Melbourne City Council with the Tundaminawe and Hina Commemoration Committee. So this is a day for each and every one of us. So join us, 2pm Sunday the 11th of uh, September. Um, Go to the website, Tunner Mall, mall, M-A-U-L, dot org. Get information there. And if you don't know where to go, it's very simple. Corner of Victoria Street at Franklin Street, next to the Melbourne City Jail, not far from the Melbourne Trades Hall, near the 8-Hour Monument, not far from the city baths. It's just there at the end of Swanson Street, next to RMIT. You can't miss it. It's a great piece of art, a great monument. But more importantly, it's not just what's there, it's the significance of what's happened, which is so important that we, on the day, celebrate it. And those of you who listen to Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, that, between 2 and 3 o'clock, that ceremony will be broadcast live by Community Radio 3CR. If you can't get the radio station, you can go to the net, 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Email us at anarchistage at com. Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, tunnamall.org. Um, Go to my Facebook page. You won't find out what I ate for breakfast. You won't see any pictures of, you know, food I've eaten. You won't even see pictures of what I defecated this morning. Strong political action. Leave, leave the consume, defecate, die quietly brigade and join the public interest before corporate interest brigade. Put your welfare before the welfare of the corporate sector. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Don't forget, 2pm, Sunday the 11th of September, the official opening of the Tunnaminaway Minoway um Monument in Melbourne, corner of Victoria Street, Franklin Street, not far from the... Um, Melbourne City Jail next to it, not far from Trades Hall, the eight-hour monument. Uh, so be there, join us on the day, celebrate uh, this uh, victory because it's important that we celebrate our victories because it's the radical who acts as the catalyst for change. Those who are marginalised, ostracised, pushed, sh- pushed aside, laughed at, denigrated are those who turn the wheels of change in this country thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station the program is podcast you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au that's 3cr.org.au listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the community radio network next week off we go We've got the cow, off we go. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up to date analysis of local, national, and international events